Hello and welcome to the Expand AI podcast. My name is Amrita and I'm the founder at Expand AI. Expand AI helps AI companies build high-performing machine learning models with our automated data labeling solutions. In the Expanding AI Beyond Borders series, we'll be talking to entrepreneurs and leaders across the globe on various interesting developments happening within the AI industry. Today, we're talking to an entrepreneur and AI leader from Nigeria, Adibayo Awofuye is a research and innovation manager at Steam Ledge Limited and is a co-founder and CEO at Gamma Prime. He is also a core part of the AI movement in Nigeria. Adibayo, welcome to the Expand AI podcast. Hi, Marisa. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really honored and excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here, Adibayo. Um, so first of all, uh, can you tell us a bit about the state of um, AI development in Nigeria? Uh, sure. So I describe the state of AI development in my country, Nigeria, as still being in the nascent stage. So still being in the development stage. Um, so late, 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 late last year, I think our government instituted the National Institute for the National Center for Artificial Intelligence and Robotics in order to promote research and development work into emerging technologies and also their application as it serves the interest of Nigeria. So I think this is a very strong sign that the government is taking this technology really seriously and also uh, to signal to you know entrepreneurs and businesses that okay the uh, the ecosystem is something that's actually thriving and we are willing to, to support companies locally to actually get this thing off the ground. So uh, though it might seem like we are actually late to the game, I don't necessarily see that as being a bad thing since now we can uh, sit back and uh, take stock of, uh, of the the good and the bad from you know the the, the incumbents in the field like those people mm-hmm. that have actually taken ai from scratch uh in companies even in the us uh countries that are actually uh world leaders in ai mm-hmm. so we can learn from their their mistakes and see what to do and what not to do so i don't see it as all being bad it's actually a sign of good things to come so yeah exciting times Right, absolutely. Sounds like that. Um, so can you tell us a bit about like, uh, you know, how it was even maybe five, six years back, like, you know, how much development were you really seeing in the industry? Right. Uh, so I think the AI movement really did start about, let's say, four years back, mm-hmm. uh, roughly, with uh, organizations like like uh, Data Science Nigeria. Uh, these organizations offer... Uh, um, boot, boot camps, summer camps, and courses with collaboration with some of the leading experts in the industry, like Yasha Benjo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have some non-specific uh, uh, Nigerian companies or, um, or, or organizations like Deep Learning Indaba. These are these. Uh, this particular organization is not specific in Nigeria; it's kind of a, of the whole Africa. But they they do offer uh, mentorships uh, to strengthen HEML in Africa and also. Uh, they give support in terms of grants also. So uh, just to be clear, we're not the first to actually start this movement. This movement has been alive and well right. over the past four right. years. But it's just taking, it's just taking root now. And, uh, and we feel like this is the right time to actually accelerate this movement uh, because of, of, of a couple of things. So the confluence of you know, the government actually offering its support. And we kind of have a relative political stability now. Uh, it's no um, surprise that... Uh, it, it, it comes as no news that Nigeria has kind of suffered some sort of uh, instability in the past. Right. And I think we're uh, at that stage where we're ripe and uh, we are really serious about uh, accelerating the state of AI in the country. Right. 
Okay. Um, so what yeah. do you think is the reason behind uh, Nigeria lagging behind uh, when compared to even other African countries? Right. Uh, yeah, it's basically the same thing I said before about the political instability, right? Um, you know, when things aren't safe, uh, I don't think anyone's going to want to think about, you know, breakthrough technologies. Uh, everyone's going to be thinking about how to survive and how to put food on the table. Right. So. Uh, we've had that issue where we didn't really have a long stretch of, you know, political mm -hmm. stability. Uh, and uh, even at the times we did, AI was still experiencing its AI winter. So we didn't really have the, uh, the hype about AI that we see from right. the US and China. So uh, and in current times when that happened, uh, um, foreign investors trooped into the emerging markets in Africa. And they trooped into the markets that have economic stability and political stability. And those are the likes of Kenya, you know, South, South Africa, and even Ghana, right? So majority of the startups there that you see today have backing from the US or Europe or China, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's, more, it's more of the case that, you know, the local, um, the, the local ecosystem of AI was um, accelerated by foreign investment. It wasn't the case that it actually grew on its own. Right. And because we didn't have that political stability here, uh, foreign right. investors couldn't come in right. and also grow that same thing here. Um, so I think that's one of the major reasons why we kind of lag behind. But um, we're, we're actually starting the movement from the grassroots now. Uh, and we're trying to encourage um, foreign investors to come in and you know, play around in, in the game also. So I remember that when we were having a conversation previously, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in order for um, Nigeria to be, you know, uh, to be at the same level as, let's say, US or China or some of the other countries that have uh, developed quite a lot uh, when it comes to AI, uh, you would have to leapfrog, in the, you know, some of the um, industrial evolutions, if I may say. Um, and, you know, that, that, that was very interesting for me. And, you know, I'm curious to know, like, how you can do this? How can this be achieved? Right. Right. So I think um, historically, emerging markets have been no strangers to leapfrogging uh, complete technological evolutions or even the revolutions, right? So, especially in Africa, I think there was a whole generation that leapfrogged the uh, use of the laptops, right? I think uh, there was a completely whole generation that didn't even use laptops but just went straight into smartphones mm -hmm. because of the affordability. Like, that was the technology at the time. And because of that leapfrogging, uh, we're able to bank the unbanked at a fraction of the cost that it would have cost us to bank those unbanked population if we were to use the, the traditional banking model. So if you know you have to come to the bank to register, to create, to have a, a MasterCard or a credit card or a debit card, all those things, uh, we actually leapfrogged them and we became, and by we I mean you know, emerging markets, the whole of Africa, uh, we became the first adopters in mobile banking transactions. Right, even ahead of the U.S. Right, so unlike Venmo, if you know if you know Venmo in the U.S., you know you could you used to need a you used to need a bank as an intermediary. With some things, like CUDA, you don't even need the bank as an intermediary. You can have transactions without the bank as the intermediary. Right, the bank just serves as the you know the underlying framework behind it. So uh, again, we're not strangers to doing this, and we did that because the the market showed that it was cheaper and more profitable to not rely on the infrastructure, do not build the infrastructure you don't already have, to leverage on existing infrastructures to reach the same goal. 
So bring that back to the AI. If you want to reach the same goal of, okay, becoming big players in the field of AI, we can't just verbatim copy, you know, the model that the U.S. has used, right? They have the infrastructures that we don't have. They have the hardware. And, you know, uh, not just the U.S., but Europe and the uh, developed world, you know, they have the hardware, they have the resources. If we don't have that, then we're definitely going to have to leapfrog the same way we've leapfrogged in other industries. And I think because we've done that uh, beautifully well in, in, in the past, for something as uh, dire as AI and with the signal that the government has given that now we're actually ready to start playing in this field, I think it is incumbent on, on us to uh, play out the same model of leapfrogging you know, the, the technology and uh, just using existing technologies that might apply in, in, in the developed world, but rather focus on things that will work here with our own technology and the resources we have. Right. That's actually an interesting point that you mentioned there. Um, and when you were talking about, you know, um, how there was an entire generation in Africa that pretty much like leapfrogged the PC revolution and um, uh, directly had access to smartphones, you know, thinking about yeah. what's happened back here in India, it's very similar because a lot of the folks um, in tier two, tier three cities, they may not even have a television at home. Um, they may not even have access to a laptop or PC, but they do have smartphones. You know, because now that a lot of Chinese smartphone makers have come into the market, it's become super easy for a lot of people to have um, access to smartphones um, and also with the Internet becoming available. So um, I can totally understand what you're saying. And it makes total sense that um, it's absolutely possible to leapfrog industrial evolutions. Um, yes, it's actually you in a report that says that uh, we have more people in the world who have, who have access to smartphones than they do have access to toilets. Oh, so wow. So it's that, Did it's not know that, that severe. Yeah. Right. Wow. Um, so can you tell us a bit about, uh, you know, like what role will educational institutions, uh, research facilities and good job opportunities play, uh, you know, in uh, making this happen for Nigeria? That's a very good question. Um, so to answer the question, I'll just uh, have us ponder for a minute on the role that research and development plays in the, in, in the development of any stabilization, right? Uh, the best countries, or you know, it, it depends on how you define best. But you know, the mm -hmm. world leaders in in this world uh, thrive on R and D, right? right? The best companies thrive on R and D, right? Companies that usually go out of business are companies that you know uh, reinvest into into the bottom line. They only reinvest into their their bottom line without right. you know trying to foresee the future, uh, mm -hmm. trying to see okay can we invest in research into emerging technologies, a new way of doing things? Can we even try to replace our current model? Because right. someone somewhere might be working on something that'll you know replace us. We've seen this with um, uh, with Yahoo and Google. We've seen this with um, uh, uh, I just forgot the name of the company, but we've seen this re repeatedly, right? So mm -hmm. it it is the case that R and D is the key to unleashing talent and unleashing progress in technology. And when you have progress in technology, then you can build the social contracts around that. So you have, you know, education systems around technology, you have the military, you have the, you know, uh, universities for education, but there has to be a moat, a competitive advantage that a country has technology wise to be able to, you know, flex its, uh, flex its muscles on the international stage. So it's really important that our institutions locally actually foster tier one research, not just uh, tier two or the, or the rest, where we're mm -hmm. trying to copy or just incrementally reproduce what has already been done 
in the developed mm-hmm. world. We have to actually get serious about conducting breakthrough research, you know, cutting edge research on our own um, uh, pressing needs. Uh, and then we can have that uh, trickle into the universities to offer research. Uh, and then we have uh, these guys or these uh, uh, brilliant minds being retained because we have access to, we have jobs that will allow them to practice what they've actually, uh, to apply what they've actually learned right. and practice the research right here in, in the country. Uh, most of what we see today is that most of the, of the best minds are funneled abroad. So mm-hmm. and it's it's not a big, it's not really, it's not, um, it's not surprising that that happens because the opportunities abroad far outweigh those here. So I think, uh, not just the fact that we need to educate and then we need research, we also need jobs, right? We also need to be able to apply the research and the education we've learned right here in the country. So right. research institutions, education institutions, and jobs play a very huge role in, uh, in, in accelerating the pace of AI here. Right, great. So on that note, can you tell us a bit about the startup ecosystem um, back there in Nigeria? Yeah. Um, so uh, we have a thriving start system. I don't know if thriving is the word to use. We have an emerging startup ecosystem. So uh, um, fortunately and unfortunately, majority of that ecosystem is uh, concentrated towards the south of the country. So right. in Lagos alone, we have uh, over like 100 startups, if not more. And we have oh, wow. over 35 startups in AI alone. Mm-hmm. That's 35 startups in Lagos in AI alone, right? Uh, if you compare that with the north, uh, with the more northern side of the country where I stay, uh, it's 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 almost it, it's almost a one to it, it's almost 35 to zero. So like you'd be hard pressed to find any startup in AI in the north, right? So the, the ecosystem, though it thrives, it's concentrated somewhere. And it's not the same model as it is in the US where okay, we have the, the startup ecosystem concentrated in Silicon, in Silicon Valley. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a more dire thing here where because it's concentrated in a particular place, that place mm-hmm. sees a lot of development and right. then the rest of the country you know, lags behind. Right. right. So uh, also uh, um, these startups we see, uh, most of them still funnel most of our best minds abroad. So uh, we're still having this brain drain thing where uh, the best and brightest want to work abroad and the companies they see in the South help them if, it, if, it's, to, if, if it's to get them remote jobs with foreign companies or even, you know, even uh, uh, getting them out there. Uh, we see very few of them actually retaining talent locally. And I think that's a huge, a huge issue, right? A majority of the population uh, on average uh, is located also in the North. And I think we are... Uh, um, Focusing our efforts on uh, the more disenfranchised part of the country will actually really help in democratizing and speeding up uh, the AI revolution. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I remember when we had pr- uh, spoken previously, uh, I mean, we had this discussion where you spoke about the brain drain. And I remember that I said that, you know, it's, it's uh, almost the same out here in India as well, where the brightest minds, uh, you know, most of the brightest minds want to go abroad and like, uh, you know, f- uh, for their um, bachelor's or their master's and then, you know, uh, maybe stay back uh-huh. there. Um, so uh, uh-huh. can you tell us a bit about, you know, what, what, what do you think, you know, you can do as a country to, uh, you know, uh, to prevent this from happening? Okay. Uh, I could, I guess there are a lot of things we could do uh, by making the, 
the environment here more palatable. Uh, again, with the internet connectivity issues, you know, with light issues, with power issues, with security issues, and then you know, just having uh, the common man being being able to survive and thrive in the country. But also, there's another there's another more uh, high level issue, which is that uh, from what I've experienced and personally also, I think the best and brightest and the uh, yeah the best minds want to work on the hardest problems, right? Right. If you try yeah. to keep, uh, if, you have, uh, if you have the best minds, they actively search for stimulating issues to solve, uh, things they can relate to that uh, that resonates with their core values. Uh, so we have uh, some of the best minds, you know, even today, applying to companies like Facebook. And during the interview, after the, the interview, they kind of interview the interviewer and say, okay, what are you guys doing that, you know, is actually trying to, you know, probably democratize access to this and that or you know trying to question the company like the value system of these companies so it's not just that we're looking for a job we want to work somewhere where our values align with the values right. of the company yep. so yep. yeah so if we have a uh, most of the startups here are uh, if they're solving you know incrementally difficult challenges of course we'll have a brain drain we'll have people going to you know, not just because they're looking for a green pasture but also they're not intellectually stimulated here right and there's no reason yep. to be intellectually stimulated because we don't have that ecosystem to solve local challenges so that's a very serious issue which i think uh has been overlooked unfortunately right it's actually a super interesting perspective uh you know it's the first time that i'm hearing this that um you know like if uh companies you know back in a country they're working on uh, super challenging and interesting problems then uh, you know the best minds would want to stay back and you know solve that problem along with them uh which is actually uh, yeah i mean i mean that that makes absolute sense and uh, you know Absolutely. i wonder why you know a lot of countries don't do that because there's nothing really stopping them uh, apart from like uh, you know ideas that need a lot of funding like some of the hard tech uh, ideas apart from yeah. those ideas yeah. you know for some of the other ideas like it it shouldn't be that hard for a company to just want to uh solve a very challenging problem and to just go for it so i wonder why you know um, there's a lack of that yeah um well uh, the reality is uh you know it's also the incentives uh uh so the structure of the incentives is it uh, structured in such a way that you're incentivized to have this failure culture that even if you fail it's fine so i think culture also you know failure here is not something we might see as being uh an option so right. if we were to start a company, we want to start the easiest or the most, uh, the company we see that will make the most, uh, the probably make the most, it, it, it has the propensity to actually achieve something, right? It doesn't right. just fall flat, flat on its face. Whereas mm-hmm. if you go to Silicon Valley, right, you might see a, it's a different culture there where it's more like, okay, if you fail, you come again, you try again, the, the VCs might still be willing to give you more money, even though you fail. Like, you know, they kind of encourage trials, right? And that comes from the fact that they actually have uh, deep pockets. So again, I'm not just stating these uh, problems and saying there's a magical fix, but these problems do exist. And uh, the solutions to these problems might not be the same solutions that we see in, so we might need a pool, it might need a, a support from the government, since uh, probably we don't have much VCs here that have those deep pockets to be able to support even a failing entrepreneur. But if the government gives out grants and stuff, and like, okay, we actually want to solve this, similar to uh, the DARPA grant, challenge which mm-hmm. happened for which was what actually kicked off the the, the autonomous vehicles uh, race so you know the government actually sponsored that and because of that we had a technology that was built to that uh, uh regard so if we had something similar here that you know it's a directed effort towards uh, uh solving challenging uh, problems locally and right. they actually rewards and incentives to do that i think we are on the right track if we focus on that 
Okay, so can you tell us a bit about your efforts in the AI movement back in Nigeria? Yeah, I can talk about that. Um, so where do I start? So it started about, uh, it started before AI. It started about uh, four years ago, I think. Uh, so I was in my uh, National Youth Harvest Corp. So there's this national service that we do here in Nigeria. It's not a military service, so you have to serve your country after after graduation for about a year. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some countries also do this, like Germany and Denmark. So it's a national service. So uh, during during this time, I uh, I try to create a community community development scheme targeted at uh, educating the masses uh, by starting with those around me, so my colleagues and then you know the, the locals there on AI. Uh, so I named it. We named it. Uh, ICT CDS, so ICT Community De Development Scheme, to kind of like drop people in, because if I made it AI, like people will get turned off because they don't really know what it is. They assume it's this you know, a difficult thing, but naming the ICT, mm -hmm. yeah, people know about computers, know about you know net networking. So I kind of like uh, you know drew, lull them in, but then after I got them in, I, I just browled down on them and I start you know exposing them to AI and say, okay, you know you can actually aut automate this and we can actually do this. So you know uh, back then it was I was kind of naive. It was a very, very spectacular effort and a very, very spectacular failure. So it completely fell flat on its face. I think I even attached a company to it called King Kingmaker. Yeah, right. it was really a failure. Uh, and I learned a lot from that. I learned about the uh, logistics of you know running such a big operation on your own. So you don't want to do this ever. You always need a team. Uh, uh, and then um, also, I, you know, just communicating with some of the students about why they dropped out and didn't finish. So the reality of the situation was they actually told me that, uh, I, look, if we do learn these things, uh, where am I going to work? Can you send me, uh, can I, can you send me abroad? Uh, like, no. Uh, okay. Do you have a company I can work at? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Well, is there a company I can work at right now uh, with these skills? Uh, all the answers to the questions was no. Right. So right. like, okay. They were like, okay, yeah, I really want to learn these things, but then would that put foot on my table? So it was a hard sell. Uh, I, I was kind of like telling them, like, yeah, yeah, fine. You don't need to actually have a you know a, a map right now. You can have a map <laughs> later. But then that was completely right. wrong, right? You actually yeah. have to have a map. Actually yeah. have to have a map. So yeah. So just being you know, zealous about the idea. So uh, yeah. So I learned from that, and then I, you know I came back from service, and then I joined my current company, Steamledge, as the head of uh, research development and innovation. So what Steamledge does, we actually are an education and tech company. Mm -hmm. So we uh, we kind of introduce uh, young learners to emerging technologies and processes that they will use on the job, on the actual job. So what we discovered, and what the co-founder, what the founders of the company Steamless discovered, was that uh, uh, there seems to be a discrepancy between what we learn in school and the realities, the realities of the jobs, especially if it's software-related jobs. So we saw that there was a lack of uh, incorporation of these things into the curriculum. So we didn't have uh, anything about programming or very few things about you know ICT AI VR you know software development web design incorporated into the curriculum in schools if you wanted to learn learn these things you have to learn it outside school on your own time right so uh, so they came together and created this company to uh, to uh, target to serve that particular market right so that's what we do on the education front on the technology front we also try to build products so there are a couple of products we've actually worked on over the couple of years uh, since I joined uh, I can speak on a few. Uh, these products will be coming out, hopefully, we have them coming out uh, early next year. So we're really excited about them. Uh, one of them is we call Alafasaha. Mm -hmm. So Alafasaha is a, is a, is like a mobile app. 
that mm -hmm. uh, integrates out of school children back into school, right? Oh, wow. So in Nigeria, we have about 10 million, yeah, we have about 10 million out of school kids, right, in the whole of Ni Nigeria. Out of those 10 million, 7.5 million are located in the north, right? right? So in the north, we have a huge problem about education, like out of school children uh, are a lot. And of course, right. one can tie all these things, uh, tie them into, you know, all these banditries and uh, insecurities when people are not, you know, gainfully engaged or employed right. or doing something, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, they become vices, right? So right. we've always had this dream of, okay, how can we integrate uh, out of school kids back into the, you know, into, into the, into the education. So we kind of uh, created this app that can uh, uh, teach the kids in a soft sense in their own local dialect, right? And then incorporate that to learn English and to learn ma mathematics in such a way that you, they can be reintegrated into the into learning, right? right. So we built uh, the app and we are happy to deploy it uh, early next year. Uh, we also have another product um, called Blue Blueberry. So mm -hmm. this one is an example preparation tool so it also stemmed from uh another uh, uh lack of something we saw which is that uh after high school there's mm -hmm. this particular exam we take it's it's more like sat but we, we need to take it to enter college it's called WAC, west african examination council exam so okay. what we noticed that is that uh uh over the years the the difficulty of the white questions have been exponentially dropping and mm -hmm. the average test scores have been dropping as well. So the, though the test scores drop and then these exam bodies try to, you know, uh, account for that by, okay, making it less difficult, but it continues to drop actually. So what okay. that said to me was uh, we have, we're having a progressively, uh, if I can use the word dumber, we're having a progressively dumber generation which each exam we, we we actually write, and you can just uh, go online and look at this. Right, the 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 test scores in these exams, in these exams that we write in Nigeria to be able to enter college, mm -hmm. are progressively declining every year. Right, so we we actually looked into this. Like, why is this? Right, is there something that could that could could be done? And what we realized mm -hmm. was that there's an issue with the education also in Nigeria, right, and also in the part of the world also, where we prioritize rote learning. Uh, as opposed to building intuition, right? So we just memorize stuff, and then when the standard of the question changes or the, f the format of the question, we kind of get stuck. Right. So I've also taught kids in the in the past, and I've had some you know experience with, with saying that okay, I actually understand the intuition behind physics, but I just can't solve the problems. Right. I, I understand how physics works, but if you give me a solution, uh, a problem set in physics, I just can't solve it. Right. So not just building the intuition, but also uh, telling them how do you take, how do you solve these questions for these particular exams? What are the steps you need to write to, to maximize your scores? Right. right. So we incorporated all this in, in, into the platform, and we realized that it won't be uh, complete without a sort of automating the whole process. So we also added uh, a natural language layer where you could ask in natural language uh, any question that can be solved in math, physics, chemistry. Right. And it will give you a step-by-step -step solution uh, uh, depending on the exam you're taking. So if it's why it can give you a step-by-step -step solution for why, right? And you can ask it in natural language. So it ended up becoming a two for seven tutor in your pocket, right? You can ask us, you can access this at any time. Uh, and it gives you actually the Y standard after it has built your, your intuition. You could also mm -hmm. take uh, exam simulations on it and uh, simulate yourself being, being in the exam hall with the way the, the question is structured 
uh, with the timings and the pressure on the time and all that. So uh, we're also happy to release this uh, next year. So uh, these were just uh, things that tied into place, uh, trying to solve uh, the issues we the issues we noticed with with the education here, and then uh, slowly but surely tying the, the AI aspect of that into the whole thing. And then uh, I can tell you also that in order to build these things that I'm uh, discussing, particularly the, the NLP and the AI engine that can solve any question in natural language, obviously we had to hire a team, right? And we, we actually discovered that there's a complete lack of talented people locally that you can hire, right? We ended up, it's either you hire people abroad or you, or you, uh, or you outsource the entire job. So rather than doing that, we said, okay, can we build capacity locally, right? Can we train you know, this bright minds locally to bring them up to speed? You, you, you don't have to have any knowledge in anything. You can come from scratch and we'll train you on programming, you know, data science, data analytics, uh, natural language processing, well, whatever we need for you to do the job, we'll train you for free and uh, we'll put you on the project and uh, you get paid when you are in, on the project. So all you've committed is your time. And you know, so we, we had a pool of about a hundred applicants. We needed just about a few. So we kind of screened them through, you know, a process we, we called the, the Pythonish challenge. So uh, we um, screened them from about a hundred to about 20. So at the end of the day, we hired uh, about uh, we hired about a dozen of them on separate different teams, and these guys actually are the are the ones behind these products that we're actually releasing. So we kind of have like a, uh, a a microcosm of the model in in the sense that uh, we've actually tested this thing out and said, okay, we actually have a problem with the, the availability of the talent, and we've gone ahead and trained them. And we've seen that they can actually apply what they've learned on the job and the product actually works. So uh, we then took that particular model and say, okay, how can we accelerate this model, right? Do we want mm-hmm. to, we, we don't want this to actually just be a one-off. So how, how can we accelerate this where we can train people to do the job uh, regardless of their backgrounds, right? right. Uh, and, and we can also try to accelerate and expand uh, the ability, talents that we have in AI locally. And and that found uh, formed the founding thesis of Gamma Prime. So we, we have a startup uh, where we're trying to accelerate the rate. Uh, okay, we're actually trying to accelerate the, uh, the the democratization of AI in the country and in Africa. So uh-huh. using that model I just discussed with the, with the pioneers of training people to be able to work on difficult and interesting problems locally. So we're trying to see how can we accelerate that and actually make this scale with a business model behind it in, in a way that solves the problem that we've been discussing since the beginning of the podcast about lack of talent, retention mm-hmm. in the country, and lack of uh, uh, you know, interesting problems to solve. Because you, can, you might have the problems to solve, but we don't have the talent. You might have the talent, but it's no interesting problems, so they end up going abroad. So we need a two-pronged approach to actually solving these issues. And of, we are leveraging on the experiences we built over the years to see how we can uh, build this into a, into a business, and that's and that's where the Gamma Prime um, began. Yeah, I mean, so that's super interesting because I remember you said that you know right after your, I mean, while you were there, um, you know, at, at the service. Um, you were, uh, you know, training people um, in AI, but uh, at the same time, like, you know, uh, while they were getting trained, they were also like asking you that, uh, okay, so like, how will this help me in my career? Um, 
So what that tells me is that there aren't enough jobs, uh, you know, AI jobs in, our, in Nigeria yet. So, uh, you know, what do you think can be done to create sufficient jobs to ensure that talent stays back in the country? Um, and how do you think this process can be accelerated? Right. Um, yeah, so it's, it's actually the case that we don't have much uh, much jobs in, AI in the country, and that's why we have talent um, moving abroad. Um, just as just as with any industry, there is a stage where you have to just you know get down and dirty and actually do the work, mm -hmm. right? So as with any but an industry, uh, they will be uh, the first movers, and then those that then after they see okay, wow, this is a very very promising field, then they follow suit, right? So I think uh, we just need to continue with the same uh, pace we uh, with the same things we're doing, just in an accelerated manner. So we we need more. AI hubs, uh, we need more uh, entrepreneurs um, because at the, at the end of the day, AI on its own is not the thing, right? It's AI in in synergy with something, right? Okay, like you you you, you can just be an AI expert, but if you're an, if you're a medical mm -hmm. AI expert, yeah, then you can bring that automation field to mm -hmm. to the medical line and then create a company or you know offer service or business, right? So it's like you know. The moment we try to democratize AI, then we have uh, applications in right. areas that we can't even see. So we don't want to have mm -hmm. this hubris you know, uh, and say, okay, you know what? We have all the answers and uh, we're just going to barrel down and, you know, probably solve, you know, something that we think is, is the next big thing. Rather than doing that, uh, we've decided to democratize access to this AI knowledge in such a way that we can uh, uh, also democratize the the issues and where can AI be applied in these issues locally, right? So rather than having just one, two, three startups from uh, from us actually physically doing the job alone, we can train others and uh, 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 um, you know point them in the right directions to apply this knowledge in 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 the areas that we feel or they see uh, are, are promising. And also, it doesn't matter if these areas are very, very difficult, like in areas of agriculture, uh, you know, or, uh, or, 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 you know, having power or internet access. It really doesn't matter. It's just we need to create that, uh, that movement and ecosystem to support uh, uh, new and the young, the young upcoming bright minds to learn AI and apply it to their expertise or their fields to be able to accelerate uh, the, the rate at which we have AI jobs. So I think that alone will 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 make uh, 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 it, that alone will make a huge difference in the sense that we'll have enough talent locally we'll have enough uh, jobs available and then uh, the, the issues raised during the early days about there not being jobs uh, I think that will definitely solve it if not wholly then partly yeah I mean I mean that that absolutely makes sense and um, you know uh, yeah tying what you said into democratizing AI. So um, when we look at the state of AI development in Nigeria, like it becomes clear that, you know, like uh, a lot of work needs to be done to democratize AI further. So can you, first, can you tell me what democratizing AI means to you? So I think um, when we talk about AI democracy, we need to, uh, to define what democracy is. So I think the most common definition of democracy we get is from, you know, uh, government. So uh, democracy is a government f of the people, for the people, and by the people. 
is right. So if we kind of tie it up back into AI, say if, what is AI of the people? AI of the people means mm -hmm. this AI has to have a utilitarian approach to being developed. It cannot be developed of a single company. It's not AI of Google or AI of OpenAI. It's AI of the people, right? So democratizing right. AI for me is giving everyone access to be able to play in the game. So that's the off aspect. By the people also relates to that, right. where uh, uh, if, if, if the AI is of the collective will of everyone, because every, everyone is playing in the game, then it obviously becomes by the people, right? You're the ones doing it. And this also ties into some of the issues we're seeing in, uh, we're seeing today with, with the biases in, in these models, with, uh, um, yeah, especially with, with the AI bias and the uh, discrimination. Uh, uh, some of that comes from the fact that uh, there's a lack of, re of representation in these fields, in these AI fields, in the cutting edge. So yeah, it's not it's not some kind of sinister mm -hmm. thing that okay maybe Google doesn't want uh, to allow this AI to be able to spot a black person, right? It's just because the trading data didn't have the black person or the mm -hmm. black people, right? So it's more like an oversight right. because of yeah. lack of representation. So if we have re representation in in AI, and that's just a yeah. tiny sliver of the issue. Imagine if we were to go deeper and start approaching AGI with the right. same model we're building where it's not democratized and there's a lack of representation. Just imagine the whole flurry of challenges we, we actually might see. So, and then if it's by the people and then it comes for the people. So if you're engaged in it, then obviously it's for you. You're building it to solve problems locally, right? So this is what I see as AI democracy. Yes. Right. That, that's super interesting what you mentioned about, uh, you know, training data. Um, you, t you spoke about bias where, you know, if a data is biased, then, uh, you know, of course, like, you know, the model is not going to be super accurate. And, you know, there, I mean, you won't be able to build a high performing model. So um, that's, you know, um, the other problem that, you know, you also face with training data is also with, uh, you know, the quality of the annotations. So that's what we're doing, uh, you know, at Expandia mm -hmm. as well, which is that, um, you know, um, we are trying to solve the right. problems that exist with manual data labeling um, in order to ensure that the quality of the labels are highly right. accurate. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. And what we were talking right. about earlier, you know, in, in the morning when we connected, uh, we were talking about, um, you know, singularity and uh, how the problem of explainability needs to be uh, needs to be prioritized mm -hmm. so that, you know, the ML models are not like a black box anymore. Um, you know, before we kind of move ahead with AGI, you know, th that was super interesting. Um, so can you talk a bit more about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 I can. Uh, uh, but then before I go into that, if you will, uh, uh, it's interesting you brought up Expand AI because that also ties into the same narrative I'm, uh, you know, building here, which is that, okay, you said uh, your company mission is to automate right. the data labeling process. Now that sounds easy to say, right? Like you can say in a sentence, right? But from my own little research, very, very little research, I see that that's very mm -hmm. difficult to do, right? And I can imagine the uh, difficulties involved in that. So we, now we have one thing, uh, we have the, a challenging problem that can attract mm -hmm. the talent, right? So we have something that, uh, from my research, I think uh, there are just a handful of companies working on this, if I'm correct. If not, no, just, we're actually uh, the second company in the world working on this. Two. Right, right. So there are two companies working mm -hmm. on this in the entire world. That just right. shows the difficulty of this. So imagine you wanted to attract talent, which I'm sure right. you, you have. Uh, you, it's, a, it's a much easier sell, you know, okay, uh, uh, to, to uh, retain local talent in India to right. work on Absolutely. something like this yep. because the those high risks, mm -hmm. it's high reward. The reward pay, uh, actually pay off because, you know, when you can accelerate that, when you can automate the process of data labeling, 
you know that just takes a whole lot of uh, it takes a whole lot of load and weight off the, off the process of manual right. annotation and then the errors we get in the automatic annotation as well. So uh, yeah, I really agree with that. Uh, and then coming back to the uh, uh, AGI, you're talking about um, the fact that we might need to make AI mm -hmm. explainable. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? Yep. Okay. Yes. Yes. So yes. So I think the problem with, with explainability even goes deeper than we think or than most people think. Um, and I'm, I'm, I completely believe that if we want to democratize AI, like if you're really serious about democratizing AI, we need to make AI explainable. If you really want to democratize AI, uh, and I'll explain what I mean, mean by that. So now uh, we have a lot of companies that are talking about making AI open. Uh, we might have heard about, heard about OpenAI, uh, you know, uh, and a few. Uh, and they actually publish mm -hmm. research, right? So they are trying to make it, it, uh, these models open by publishing the research. But, you know, just look at the hardware costs they use in actually training these models. Train models like GPT-3. It has 170, 127, I think, right. billion parameters. And uh, it took, it, I think they spent about six million. It was multiple, million, multiple millions of dollars right. just to train, right? And then, um, and then, yeah, and then they release the papers. So, uh, what I'm saying is, the the caliber of people that can reproduce that paper and build something similar to, to GPT three will probably be on the same level as Google, OpenAI, you know, Apple, mm -hmm. right? On that alone, you're already sectionalizing the state of the art of, right. of AI, right? You're already marginalizing, and the amount of people that can work on state of the art have to be affiliated somehow with Google or OpenAI or DeepMind or all these companies. So now that's giving DeepMind those companies uh, power, right? And I'm not so sure that that power is necessary. Like, I'm not so mm -hmm. sure that's the right way to go. Uh, and the reason why we can't reproduce these models is because we don't understand how they work, right? You actually have to retrain GPT-3, right? And OpenAI is also a licensed GPT-3 model exclusively to Microsoft, I think, the last time I checked. Uh, I might be I might be wrong on this, but you know they're licensing the technology to a single company. This is a massive uh, this is a massively transformative tech. It's a language right. model. It can understand things and do things that we hadn't right. seen seen before. So if someone like you know little old me wanted to actually you know contribute, right? When I went on the, on the internet, the only model I could see that was close enough to GPT three mm -hmm. was GPT Neo. It's an open source uh, version of GPT three by hugging face, right? So, uh, and then it just has about three billion parameters, right? So, uh, nothing on the level or scale of what we have with mm -hmm. GPT-3, right? Imagine we have these models explainable and you can actually reduce, you can compress these models into, you know, their their, their underlying right. functions, right? So if, if GPT-3 were trained once, you just have that function or you have this explainable layer on top of, mm -hmm. yeah. of GPT-3 that explains how this model works, right? How this matrix, this dense matrix actually produces its, you know, its right. uh, predictions. With those, with, with with that, you can compress the entire model. You don't need those, that gigantic model anymore. You, you, you have the information, like it's information theory. You have the information now that you need to, to actually run the same model, but in a shorter amount of time on an and on resources that are very, very, very available to everyone. So I can run such a model or a function mm -hmm. on my laptop, on mm -hmm. my iPhone, right? right. But to, to, today, that's not the case. So the argument is, even the fact that we're just uh, boneheadedly barreling down, you know, using these um, 
black box models, I think that's also negatively impacting the rate at which we can right. democratize AI. Because say we were to read this singularity before we were to create uh, a model that mm -hmm. was explainable. We, we actually build a singularity with mm -hmm. a black box model. Of course, we, we'll then be talking about, you know, is the AI against us or us? We don't understand how it makes these decisions. We understand nothing. We just know, okay, we trade on this and it's conscious or it does something, right? So, of course, we have the value alignment problem where we give it something we hope that we've expressed in the right enough, plain text enough, plain details that it understands and it doesn't wipe us out as a consequence of trying to follow this, uh, you know, this uh, right. uh, function. So, but if we were to make the AI explainable, right, everyone has access to how it actually works. Uh, you can catch the errors. You can actually make simulations and predictions. And like, if I give it this, what would right. it do? Yeah. Right there in your simulator. You don't have to actually run that experiment in the real world, right? It's an experiment you really don't want to run. So I'm just shocked as to, as to why we are running these experiments. And then again, I'm not really shocked because, uh, you know, uh, companies have to have their own moats. They have to have their own uh, technological uh, advantages in terms of competing. So if you're if your technological mode is the fact that you have GPUs and you have TPUs and ASICs, is the hardware, of course you'll fund research in using deep learning that mm -hmm. uses those hardware, right? But if if we are starting in Nigeria and, and in the developing world, and we don't have access to all these uh, hardware, and it's incumbent in us to, it's actually important and it's necessary for us to try out other ways of building AI beyond black box models. And I think to, to the point, the fact that we're trying to democratize AI means we can catch up with the US or, or with China or with these developed countries or even the industries there, the companies there, by following their same route. Mm -hmm. We don't have resources, we don't have the hardware, we don't have the talent. So we have to, we are forced to innovate, you know, necessity right. is a matter of yep. invention. We're forced to invent new ways that might move the entire field forward, right? But if we just assume all the best answers are in, you know, MIT and Stanford and these Ivy, mm -hmm. Ivy League schools and in Google, right, we are afraid to challenge the narrative, then we will definitely be stuck in the fact that, okay, the singularity might take, you know, as long as we stop doing that. And then if it does come, then we are doomed to the fact that we can just hope that it's trained on uh, non-biased data and it actually understands what we're mm -hmm. saying. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that is super interesting and, uh, you know, like absolutely makes sense because uh, um, in order for, uh, you know, Singularity and AGI to be safe, we have to ensure first that AI has been democratized because uh, without equal access to, because if, you know, AI in any development, any major development that you see with AI, if that is kind of um, restricted to the ivory towers, like back in uh, Google or back at Microsoft, back at IBM or, you know, uh, even, uh, you know, Facebook, now they're meta, uh, you know, some of these other com uh, companies, then, uh, you know, like yeah, that yeah. does not democratize AI to the extent uh, that it needs to be democratized in order for AGI to be safe. And um, yeah. this is, uh, you know, super important now. Okay. And uh, if you actually look at uh, the the backbone to most of these uh, re this research work in AI, the backbone is... Um, the backbone is, you know, having access to, you know, GPUs, TPUs, ASICs, right? The backbone is cloud services, right? So you, you can just imagine a scenario where um, something were to happen to these cloud services and we have like critical AI infrastructure running there, right? Um, and, you know, this is not too far-fetched to something that can happen. Um, so we want to put all our eggs in one basket because uh, uh, because we, we we kind of engineered our way into a into a 
into a bind. And now we have to uh, uh, rely on, you know, uh, these cloud services to offer us, uh, you know, GPUs and stuff that are really expensive to run uh, locally. And then uh, I feel that transfers the power over to them. We And if, if again, if we're saying AI is a democracy, I, I just want to try to explain my line of thinking. It's more like a, it's more like a government. If AI is going to be, if AGI and AI is going to be the most uh, important invention of humanity, right? I think we need to be serious mm-hmm. about who has the power to do what. Right? And today, the power lies on the right. on the back end, yep. right? If you have access to the GPUs and everything, like you have all the power, right? And you can decide what model can be right. trained and what can't can't be done. You know, you can decide to do this and you can decide not to do that. And we've been showing, you know, uh, I think it's been in the open, uh, the resignation of Tiffany Gebru from Google when she was trying to work on some kind of, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, some kind of her stuff and, and Google, you know, politely short her th- uh, the door. So, you know, uh, we can't right. really, tr- yep. uh, I can't, I can't trust Google that Google is doing the right thing. Likewise, Google shouldn't trust me that I'm doing the right thing. You know, we, everybody has to, you know, play that game. It's just like politics. You can't say, okay, I'm not going to engage in politics and we just leave it. Then, you know, uh, everyone suffers because competent p- people decided to sit back and relax and let the incompetent ones, uh, you know, become, you know, play, play in the game and then everyone suffers. So I'm not saying that anyone that's playing in the, in the AI field is incompetent. All I'm saying is that uh, we need more diversity and more hands on the job. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter right. yeah. what background you have. It doesn't matter if you have the access to these hot, hot GPUs. None, none, none of that matters. We are building from first principles. Do we need to rethink uh, gradient descent? Do we need to rethink uh, backprop? All these algorithms that are using these massive GPUs, mm-hmm. these are just algorithms. There are other ways to do this. But we can't also rely on these big companies to fund those research. So we have to think of ways to fund those research ourselves. And going just beyond this companies, mm-hmm. it's also to accelerate the progress in AI. Because if we're not careful, I think AI will reach an, another winter where, uh, as we're seeing now, we, we're just having incremental inc- uh, incremental improvements in the, in the model performances. We can add like a ton of GPUs and we just right. get incremental yep. improvements. I mean, we're reaching the point of diminishing returns yep. where no matter mm-hmm. how much hardware you get, don't, Moore's law might catch up, but you're just at this bottleneck where y- mm-hmm. you would probably end up using the entire computer of, of the world in order to just get incremental results, right? I mean, we have to like really, 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 really sit yep. down yep. And, and discuss Makes this, sense. at least. Right. So I just want to bring in another perspective mm-hmm. out here. So uh, you mentioned that, you know, it has to be more about politics because, you know, we, we shouldn't trust, uh, let's say, Google or IBM or Microsoft and solutions that they're coming out and, you know, they shouldn't trust, uh, yeah. you know, another company yeah. working on it. But my, my question then is, you know, if, if you know, you, uh, there's going to be like a lack of unity as to, you know, what should be the way forward, mm-hmm. uh, do you think real progress is really going to happen? Um. I can answer that with another question, which is basically, do we feel like there's a unity in the way we're doing things now in the, in the form of the research in, into AI? Do you feel like there's a unity as we have mm-hmm. today? Like, I, though it might look like there's a unity, like, uh, yeah, everyone is, uh, there are papers that have been published and all that. But if there were a unity, then everything should be open sourced, really. 
and the the ability right. to right. play in the game should be open sourced. And open sourcing doesn't mean you're open sourcing just the uh, the the papers or the or the model. It is actually you're open sourcing it in such a way right. that anyone can run these things. Uh, like okay, not anyone, but most everyone can run these things at a fraction of the cost, right? That it's taking to run it today. Right. Yep. Yeah. If we had yeah. that, then sure, I'd be all uh -huh. for you know yeah. Uh, exactly the way we're doing it will actually work but the way we're doing it will work because there really is there's no unity there is an autocracy which is uh perpetrated by uh, uh companies not uh consciously but this is just the way things are it's an autocracy that's perpetrated by companies that have the resources and uh, these companies are they're not right. incentivized to fund other ways of doing things you don't want to put yourself out of a business anyway right so it's left to the startups right the outliers the underdogs to come in and say there's mm -hmm. a new way of doing things and right. we're, we're yeah. willing to challenge the status quo yeah. this is what happened with apple you know they challenge ibm this has always happened right. and we need yes. this in ai also yes right no absolutely totally agree with you you know like that that's exactly like you know um that, that, that is actually the best thing about startups, which is that they push things forward, right? So that is where the next evolution will come from. So like totally agree with that. Um, so, you know, tying what you said uh, regarding, um, you know, how um, AI needs to be democratized, uh, you know, in order for AGI to be safe. So just getting back to that. So can you talk about the steps we need to take on a global level to democratize AI in that case? Right. Yes. So with, with all this, um, you know, competition and uh, you know this country versus that country, what we see in the world today is that there's a global race to you know to having the best AI possible, because the country that has that you know will basically dominate the rest. Uh, it's the same race that has always been. It's either there's a there's an arms race or there's a space race, and right now there's an AI race. Right. We also have uh, reports of uh, automated <laughs> weapons. So we have. AI making decisions on who to, you know, you know to uh, engage in war or who not to. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. we have, uh, so everything is becoming, AI is becoming an integral part of everything, right? Because it's just that good. So for something that is that powerful, uh, uh, the, the, the way I see it is that uh, countries have no choice but to play in the game. You at least have to play in the game. And you, again, coming from the Mm -hmm. point of you don't trust someone else to do, uh, to look out for you. You have to look out for yourself. If you have a company and you know, if there's anyone there out, out there that has a company that's working on something about relating to AI, I think, uh, it is, uh, incumbent on you as you know, the founder or the CEO to also divert some budget away into R and D. Okay. How can we, uh, work on really cutting it right. AI, even something that's not really bringing returns right now, but you know, these things we're uh, discussing, you know, Super yeah, explainable mm -hmm. AI, you know, uh, trying to find another way of doing AI. Is it just, you know, deep learning? Is, is this a local minima or is deep learning actually the way to go? Uh, you know, uh, that, right. that is the yeah. only way I see I see this happening. You can't, we can't trust another country to come and say, okay, you know what, we're going to babysit you. Of course, there's going to be, there's going to be a catch. Uh, of course, this is played out in history. So it is incumbent on every country to get serious about this and to play the game to their strengths. Don't play the game to the other country's strengths because you end up losing, right? At the end of the day, it's not about every country having mm -hmm. equal uh, technological capacity. 
you can't move. It's not about, okay, this country has out on the same footing as this country. It's just everyone can play in the game, right? If it's a space race, you know, countries can launch a, a, a rockets, you know, China's in space race, Russian in space race, the US is in a space race. So mm-hmm. it's a thriving, and even in space, there's the collaboration, you know, when uh, before SpaceX came along, you know, the US was using Russian satellites, and, uh, rockets, and uh, Soyuz rockets also to launch, mm-hmm. right? So there's a form of healthy collaboration, but it also has to be a healthy competition. That is the only way we can actually uh, move things forward. If it's just, okay, let's leave this for one particular country, one particular people. I believe the laws of physics are ubiquitous any part of, in any part of the world. So the physics that works in the US can work in Nigeria. The physics that works in, in Europe can work in India. It's just, can you get that physics to work, right? Right. Just, it's just get down to work and actually to make it work. I mean, yeah, I mean, that absolutely makes sense. Um, so what's your take on where we stand with AGI? Do you see AGI becoming possible anytime soon? Um, how much longer do you think we'll take to get there? Okay, great. Um, so I think that actually depends on your definition of AGI. Uh, so I'd love, your, uh, I'd love to hear your own definition of AGI. Because everyone kind of defines AGI differently, so I'd love to know if we're if we're actually on the same page if we're talking about this, the same. Right. Thing. So my definition of AGI would be, um, you know, a general intelligence that is able to do both, like the analytical, uh, you know, uh, side of things as well as the creative side. So the human brain has, you know, two. Um, hemispheres right the left hemisphere as well as the right hemisphere so we're able uh-huh. we're, we're, we're able to do uh, like analysis on data and then we're also uh-huh. able to do you know some of the other creative things uh-huh. right uh, when you look at ai today um ai today is able to do the analysis part really well right it's able to it's able to look at data it's able uh-huh. to churn data and it's able to like come to conclusions really super fast uh, when it comes to data but when it comes to the creative side like creating art or you know storytelling or like writing a novel or something like that and you know ai isn't that good at it yet so i would say for me a general intelligence would be when you have an ai model that you don't need to train on any data it can just learn from its uh, environment you know on its own and then it can um you know essentially is good at both the uh, analytics part as well as the creative part mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. awesome yeah i think i kind of resonate with that definition i think that's exactly what i would define it agis is artificial general intelligence mm-hmm. something that is general across every field mm-hmm. so an intelligence that is artificial but it's smarter than uh uh the the average collective intelligence of humanity right. is, is what i'll add as agi right. right some people might call that singularity but that's basically agi mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it has, if, it, if it's not that smart, it has the potential to get that smart. The reason is uh, we've documented pretty well. We've pretty well documented our history and the things you need to learn to understand majority of human history and, and values and everything on the Internet. Right. So it's more like humanity has become a bootloader for AI, for AGI, right? Like we, we've just, just kind of perfectly curated all these things on the Internet. And then if you have a system that can just go learn on the Internet, it can actually, uh, uh, you know, create some impressive results as we've seen with GPT-3. Mm-hmm. So I think what GPT-3 lacks, uh, among other things that we've discussed about the explainability, but on the path to AGI, because you know the day it was released, it was really, really shocking about the the, the sorts of things that GPT-3 could actually do in, in writing code, in completing sentences, you know, in, in generating prose, music, all these mm-hmm. things, right? Uh, it's, it it, it, it kind of lacked a bit of common sense, uh, a bit of common sense. And 
probably through no fault of the of the model because it was trained on you know on the internet on textual data, probably some images. So textual data might not necessarily convey common sense reasoning, right? It might not necessarily convey common sense knowledge, right? You might need to have a simulation added to that to be able to test out your thesis. And I think we do this all all the time. There's an experiment you can do. It's called the waiter experiment, um, where you you if you have a tray with a glasses of a co- cocktail and uh, you're stimulating to actually be a waiter if you uh, if you were to use your left hand and pick up a, a you know a, a glass from the tray your right hand that's balancing the tray mm-hmm. would not move up because you've simulated the okay I'm, there's gonna be a decrease in the weight and I'm doing this right now so I kind of know somehow that I should balance up my hand. But if you get someone else to pick up the cocktail, your hand will move slightly upwards, right? So this is called the waiter okay. experiment. So we could not simulate, uh, we, we simulate it, but we could not simulate it because right. in a sense that we could uh, account for, for uh, physics, right? So uh, it seems there, there kind of is like some kind of a mirror neurons that simulate every actions we want to take. Uh, I mm-hmm. think there's even research on, on this and it kind of right. ba- uh, balances out everything else. So if the if the reality if the if the predicted uh, outcome does not match reality, then we become confused. And that's why we we get hysterical. Like wow, I tried to lift this thing up and it's just light. So we get a bit confused. Then we try to you know run another simulation and say oh it's it's lighter because it's empty. So then everything uh, becomes okay, right? So I think AI currently lacks that uh, uh, simulation mm-hmm. aspect where it can test out its hypothesis and simulation. Luckily, we have companies like DeepMind actually working on this. They've uh, just purchased, uh, I think they purchased and open sourced the Majorca simulator. So this is a simulator that can uh, simulate uh, intuitive physics. And you can use that. And they've even open sourced this, which is great. Right, so you can use this to simulate your thesis about the world. And if you have an AI that can learn natural language, it can learn computer vision, it can understand the world through vision. Uh, uh, it has a knowledge graph, so it knows the uh, the interrelationships between most things in in the world that it has learned from computer vision and uh, NLP. And you have a simulator where it can test that knowledge graph efficacy by predicting uh, by uh, running experiments continuously and seeing if this will pan out. I think uh, with these separate models, uh, we probably might be able to solve some version of AGI. It's, it's it's general and it can st- start to learn. It might not be the super intelligent um, AGI version, but it will actually begin to be able to learn. Uh, and we can keep something like this inside the metaverse, where we have this sensory dense uh, uh, um, information coming from both vision, you know, sound, audio, uh, just like a VR ex- uh, experience. Well, that that is a very interesting perspective. Um, so you know, uh, so then, when do you think we can uh, democratize AI? Do you think that we can democratize AI before we, uh, you know, get to AGI? I mean, I hope so. If we go back to what we discussed about the fact that we need to make AI democratized by making it explainable, if we get AGI without it being explainable, then we can't keep the AI in check, right? Uh, we are kind of like building something we don't really understand and we're sure it's going to become smarter than all of us. I don't think that's a very good experiment to run. So I would hope that we've uh, democratized access to AGI 
in the sense that we've made it more explainable. We've given everyone, uh, everyone now plays in, in this game, everyone who wants to play. Uh, so it's the equality of an of, uh, opportunity, not out, outcome. We're not forcing everyone to, you know, work in AI. But if you want to actually work in AI, uh, uh, the barriers to entry should be very, very limited. Right, you should just need a, need a laptop, mm-hmm. and internet connection, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so if we can do all this, and we have uh, varying ideas, thesis, ways of building AI, not just you know one field, uh, not just deep learning, not just uh, s- symbolic reasoning, not just uh, knowledge graphs, not just deep symbolic uh, uh, hybrids. There might be other things that we've not seen. Uh, reasoned about because you know we're so busy you know trying to make this particular type of, mo- of model work so if we actually do democratize all this and again make ai explainable i think well uh the future is bright with agi failing to do that i think is where we we, we then we then see those scenarios that Elon musk always uh, yep. <laughs> paints about yeah. know, the ai mm-hmm. enslaving us and the robots mm-hmm. yeah because you can't uh you can't really understand why it's making its decisions and if you don't understand why it's making decisions you couldn't have curtailed those decisions or those bugs everything has bugs mm-hmm. right you couldn't have a, a fix those bugs without yet currently we have to run the ai in reality mm-hmm. right to see if it has bugs right that's why they keep rem- uh, removing GPT three from the internet, like you can, you don't have access to API. You have to write. You know, it's just it's just because the model we're running. We've actually run this model with software engineering, and it actually works. We need to debug our software, so we also need to debug AI, right? You can't just build something and it's that smart, and right. we just release it yeah. into the well in the mm-hmm. hope that yeah, we have, we have similarity. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so when we say democratize AI, it's uh, not just a question of like every country having equal technological capability. Um, I think, you know, countries yeah. also need to collaborate more to make this happen. So like you see, like, you know, I was uh, reading this book, uh, you know, called AI Superpowers um, by Kai Lee. We spoke about this book in the morning as well. Um, so, you know, what, what you see, in what, what essentially, you know, the book talks about is that how, you know, after, um, you know, China saw, you know, um, like, uh, you know, IBM had built, you know, a software, uh, you know, to kind of compete with the world's best chess player and, you know, the software, the AI software, like, beat him, right? Same happened with uh, DeepMind's AlphaGo, right? Uh, beat the best Go player, yeah. right? Yeah. So when, when you know, China yeah. saw yeah. things like this, um, you know, they, they realized that U.S. has really, uh, you know, developed a lot when it comes to AI capabilities. So they realized mm-hmm. that, okay, like, you know, we need to really, um, you know, gear up because uh, essentially, like, I think countries have this notion that whoever is more advanced at the, uh, you know, when it comes to the AI race, they're going to probably have more, uh, you know, world power, if I may put it that way. Um, so, but then when we talk about democratizing AI, to me, that sounds like, you know, two very contrarian kind of, uh, you know, approaches to AI, because in one one side, mm-hmm. one side of the continuum, we're talking about like, okay, AI needs to be democratized. Another side, you know, we, you see this kind of competition, um, you know, between countries. So to me, it seems like it's more of, more of a question of like collaborating, you know, more, because I think we need to stop thinking that, okay, like it's more about like a limited resource or scarce resource where, you know, you need to kind of like mm-hmm. win the race in order to like have, you know, world power, because I think we need to think about the bigger picture here, which is that uh, AI needs to be democratized so that mm-hmm. when we do reach singularity, uh, you know, um, it's actually 
a safe route there. So it, there should be more collaboration, yeah, yeah. you know, which isn't there now. So how do you think, you know, this can, how do you think the attitude can change and we can see more collaboration in this space? Well, I completely agree with the premise that we need to actually collaborate more. Today, we don't see that collaboration because to be honest, it really is a case of, this, of there being scarce resources. So the resources needed to run these huge models are huge, right? Uh, and the uh, it, it would definitely be become the case that the more uh, the more we advance, the more demands we'll place on AI. So GPT three tomorrow might not be you know the state of the art. It definitely won't be. We'll need something else that probably has like I don't know, a trillion parameters, with the, at the rate at which we're actually going right. So so. Because the resources are scarce, I mean, if you want to train something like that, and you want to have that that much, you know, control and power, you need such a big model. So to train something like that, you need these resources that you know will set set you back, you know, millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And certain countries have that, and uh, um, certain countries don't. So the countries that have, and the countries that don't. We are, are already seeing this thing uh, playing out before our eyes. Right, the current model of AI is is uh, is perpetuating the divide between the haves and the have-nots right. because it's it's not democratized in the sense that the barrier to entry is pretty high. Yeah, if you just want to do something like you know like a like a little toy problem, you want to train something to be able to get some you know accuracy level on ImageNet or this and that or this for a ten data set. Yeah, you can just do that, but that is not applicable. We're mm -hmm. no longer playing at that level. When you have companies like GPT three that we just take, if you have a if you have a if you offer a service now that you know it's like a it's like a chatbot that is not like G, like GPT three, a company that has access to the API will just blow you out of the water because you can't right. compete. Yep. Right. Because they're using the uh, GPT access. So to be able to compete, you need to go through GPT three. Now GPT three be becomes the you know the gatekeeper to, you know, whether your company succeeds or, or, or not. Sorry, not GPT-3, uh, OpenAI. But they become that gatekeeper, right? Because they have access to, they, have, they can decide to give you the API or not. Mm -hmm. So the current model, and why is that? Why do we have to go there? Because we can't uh, train that data ourselves. So if we continue to chip at these uh, issues, why can't we train that data ourselves? Uh, because the current models we're using need huge data. Right, uh, yep. Do they have mm -hmm. to need huge data? And do they have to use it? Uh, is there other ways we, we can do it? So we, we, we start to get to first principles and starting to, to, to nip the problem in the bud and say, okay, oh, why don't we try other other models? And if we actually have a level playing field, democratizing AI doesn't mean you know companies sharing their intellectual uh, properties and you know everyone you know, exposing everything. Right? You still have to have a business model, right? Mm -hmm. You have to have mm -hmm. a competitive mm -hmm. advantage. But the the issue is creating that level playing field that anyone that wants to get there that wants to, to, to play in the field can easily join, right? And you can, your, your level of success or failure then depends on your own ingenuity. It doesn't depend on, you know, whether you have asset, access to 10,000 GPUs or not. And that's the case as we have it today with the state, state, state of the art of AI. And I'm saying that um, if we continue down that path, then the divide between the haves and the have not will continue. And then collaboration between, between countries will be near possible right you have collaboration on the very very limited scale of okay if you just want to run toy data sets right and just some little you know trainings and this and that but when it comes to the real thing like the big money mm -hmm. uh these countries will not want to collaborate because that is their technological moat 
and that is a competitive advantage. But if the competitive, if the competitive advantage is not because they have access to all these resources, it's because they actually have intellectual property or the algorithms they're using, but you can actually create your own version of it, right? Then yeah, then yeah, countries are willing to collaborate because now they, they need your intellectual, they need to know how you're thinking to be able to understand, okay, can they copy something? But now, no matter how you know how open AI thinking, if you have access to their to the papers which they have released, you still can't build GPT three right. because you yeah. don't have the kind of resources they have. So, yeah, exactly my point. Adibayo, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this was truly, uh, you know, a great conversation. Um, you know, the perspectives that you shared about uh, the AI movement back in Nigeria and also how we can democratize AI and, you know, the fact that it is more of an explainability issue um, in order to democratize AI so that AGI can be safe. Uh, that uh, is a super interesting perspective. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Amrita. I'm completely honored to be here. Thank you so much for giving me the ability to, you know, share my opinions and uh, talk about these these things. It's really near and dear to my heart. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to have done this. And uh, you know, if if there's anyone of you there, you know, for your listeners listening, uh, I just want them to know that uh, these fields that might seem so so esoteric, they seem so advanced and uh, far-fetched out there. No matter who you are, I feel like I want to let you know that you can actually impact uh, a field like this. This is humanity's greatest invention, and it needs all of us, right? It's not just a selective few. Don't ever think that is some people somewhere that are going to save the world, right? You need to be your, your own hero uh, and come out and choose yourself and choose to play in this game, right? Right. This is what you know. Uh, our host uh, Amrita has done with our companies. Uh, uh, this is what we are doing here in Nigeria and wherever you are in the world, it is a collective thing, it's a collective movement. And I'm really excited to see what we all can come together to actually accomplish. So thank you very much.